So well, um, we know God is in this place, but God is also with you wherever you are right now. We believe it, absolutely believe it. My scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. I think opening the scripture is a good thing. Yeah? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay, well, one of you. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is in vain. It's not in vain. What you do for the Lord is never in vain. And as you read this portion, as we read this portion this morning, we, we look at the context of 1 Corinthians 15 and how Paul spends this whole chapter talking about a sure and certain hope that because Christ was raised from the dead, nothing we do is wasted. If we ever want motivation to talk to someone about Christ, to share our faith, to work or serve the Lord in any capacity, we look to someone like Paul who considered it such a privilege because he always looked at the big picture. And the big picture, 1 Corinthians 15, is of course what Christ accomplished or what was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord and how history that day was totally changed and transformed. You know, the kingdom of God was finally being brought in, prophesied and talked about for thousands of years, was finally happening. And the kingdom of God was here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, us as part of God's family, doing what we need to do, our work in the Lord, in bringing this kingdom reality to those around us. And we cannot deny that whilst we are all connected to the kingdom of God, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's a sense, isn't there, that yes, God's kingdom is here and it is now, but it is also not yet. And when Jesus would ask, was asked, when is the sign of the coming of the end of the age? When is that resurrection that we are believing and hoping for? And Jesus answers very simple, this gospel must be preached in all the world. And then, and only then, will the end of the age come in. And like Paul, we can have this steadfast hope, title, steadfast belief that not only was Christ raised from the dead, but also we too will be raised from the dead at the end of the age. And this is essential, a vital point that Paul makes that um, we have to believe this. And because we believe this, and that's the big picture, what we do in our everyday is never in vain. It's never wasted what we do for the Lord. And he goes on and says, even if we suffer, and in Paul's case, the suffering he endured was a direct result of his work in the Lord. And I know many people suffer today for many different reasons, but I don't know many that are suffering as a direct result of their out there preaching the gospel. Maybe not in this country, but certainly in other countries, that is true. But even he, the Apostle Paul, says, listen, I'm serving the Lord, so whatever I'm going through, I'm, nothing compares to the glory that awaits us. 
I was, we, we had a funeral and buried a very close friend, a, a father of four very young children and a, and a son um, who was only 35 years old and, and sat with the family and, and what do you say when someone is so broken? What do you say to that young wife? What do you say to those young kids? And it was, it was a challenging, very challenging time for them. And you want to say to them, look at the big picture. You know, you want to say to them that we'll see him again in the resurrection. You want to impart some of that hope to them. And we might be talking this morning about theology and we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. We're going to look at those things. But our doctrine and our scripture is never divorced from our real life. Same prayer. This is someone else who's really suffering. And they said, I don't believe it. I don't believe in prayer. And I thought, well, okay, this is my opportunity to share the hope that we have. Because that's the reality, isn't it? They saw no hope in the natural. But I wanted to impart to them some big picture hope that death is not the end. Amen. Death is not the end. So we've been talking about big picture and I was speaking last week about unity among the believers and looking at the big picture. Um, And this is the big picture of what we believe, our doctrine has to be the overarching foundation. It has to be the overarching, but it also has to be the foundation of our doctrine and what we believe. And there can, Paul says there can be no dispute among you about this, among what's important. And he was gathering people from all sorts of different backgrounds. A lot of them didn't have a Jewish uh, belief in the, the creator God. And he's trying to bring all these people together in the unity of faith. And Paul was struggling to get his churches in unity. And the, the racial divides that were there, the, the cultural divides that were there, and he was struggling to bring them together. And you see this throughout church history. There's just conflicts around their doctrines of beliefs, and certain beliefs were called orthodox, and some were called heresy, and there was so much to be sorted out. But one thing they had to agree on is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It had to be that. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, among other places, insists that believers hold steadfastly in faith to the resurrection, to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he, Because he concluded that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, therefore there is no resurrection, and therefore all believers who die don't rise, and therefore death wins. But of the resurrection... Death cannot ultimately win. And Paul was was talking in a culture and a time when the rule of Rome was there. Rome ruled with with the iron fist and conquered whole countries and subdued nations. And these powers that Paul referred to had their chief weapon was death. I mean, of course, they had torture and death. And that was how they would keep people in line. And these powers and principalities, as Paul teaches, Christ disarmed these powers and triumphed over them in his resurrection. In one place, 
He says Christ made a public spectacle over them as he rose from the dead. And furthermore, he is seated, steadfast, immovable as ruler over all. And now Christ is just waiting for the rest of his enemies to be subdued under his feet. You see, Rome was, give a bit of history here, Rome was a big threat to Christianity. And as Christianity was a Jewish sect into a Gentile world, a Gentile world that... Uh, that was idolatrous, the, uh, a Gentile world that served many gods and even considered the emperor as, as a god or son of God. And emperor was supposed to be worshipped as lord and master. And these Christians, or followers of Christ, that were just beginning to emerge seemed to reject ideas that the Rome, Romans called normal. So they went against the idea of Caesar being lord and master. And Rome saw these Christians as ones just followed a dead man. They were a new religion. And new was always suspicious when it comes to Roman beliefs. If it's new, it's suspicious. And they're following the cult of a dead man. And not only are they suspicious of them, but they considered them superstitious and atheistic. Isn't that funny how the Romans considered the Christians atheists? But anyway, but one of the problems that, one of the main problems that Rome seemed to have, Christ was the Lord and ruler over all and not Caesar. Christians refused to participate in the worship of the imperial cult. They refused to be conformed to this world's way of thinking and acting. And they're, they're trying to establish themselves, these Christians. They've got all this opposition from without, and they're struggling with unity within. But however, Christianity thrived. And some say this is because they had compassion on the sick and the poor, and because they looked after the outcast and the downtrodden, and because they really had genuine love for people. And if your genuine love can survive... Uh, conflicts within and oppression from without, I think, you know, kind of toughened up the church, I think, that they were determined to do the work of the Lord despite all the opposition and problems and difficulty had. And it took, what, 300 years, and that's a long time, 300 years for the Christianity to be recognized by, by Rome under Constantine. And in the 4th century, we see the Council of Nicaea and the church leaders tasked with coming together to deal with some of the problems that they had within. And they came up with these statements, and we call them our beliefs, or we call them the creeds, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. You know, And many churches today, however many hundreds of years ago, still say these things, still affirm themselves to believe these things. And, of course, uh, Rome was being dealt with uh, as in um, there was no longer the oppression from without and they were being embraced, but they had to also resolve the problem of their internal conflict. And the Nicene Creed is, I mean, every time we come to say the creed, it, it, I think there's something special about it and it makes us reflect and it makes us think about what we believe. We spoke recently about renewing our minds. And renewing our minds really means to start to think different, to believe what God's called us to believe, and to believe in him and to believe in his death and his resurrection. And it's by the grace and mercy of God that this creed came about. 
It wasn't just simple human cleverness or invention, but God had revealed himself through the scriptures and God has revealed himself through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and God then makes himself known personally to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. These things have been thought through. These things have been uh, worked out and put together. And I think they're there for our benefits. I want to take just a moment, interrupt my sermon just for a moment, to read together that. Uh, that creed. Um, Can we have it up on here? And just recommit ourselves and reiterate our commitment and what we actually believe. And maybe we can say this together. Are you ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, who was conceived, Holy Spirit, born under the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and that life everlasting. Amen. I tell you, there's a power in these words because people have spent a lot of time putting these together and making it concise for us. And there's so much I could talk to you about. But let's go back to our scripture this morning where Paul is saying we have a steadfast hope because we believe. Because we believe we are steadfast, immovable, and the things that we do are always, they're always in light of uh, when we look at what we believe when it comes to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It puts in perspective. That's what Big Picture does. It puts the little things in perspective. And even Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, even asked this question himself, He says, why should we have this hope? Why are we putting ourselves in danger every hour? You know, and it's almost like Paul is questioning, (laughs) rhetorically maybe, that we are suffering. Why? Because we believe this. Because, um, Because of the resurrection. That's the answer. Why is he putting himself in danger? The answer is, of course, the resurrection. And he says, without that, there's no faith at all. In 1 Corinthians 15:17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. We were doing the Alpha course recently and uh, we're still in the process of that. So um, that's on a Sunday night. Some of you heard this last week, but it's worth looking at and worth repeating is what is the evidence of the resurrection? I mean, this thing happened thousands of years ago. And people question, one, did it really happen? And two, if it did, how is it relevant for us today? I think good questions that we ought to be able to answer. Because the physical resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and the foundation of Christianity. N.T. Wright says it like this, The Christian claim is not that Jesus is to be understood in terms of a God whom we know already, It is this, the resurrection of Jesus strongly suggests the world has a creator and that creator is to be seen in terms of and through the lens of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can say with confidence 
that we know who God is. We know about God. That's why the resurrection is such an important um, article of our faith is because it helps the creator and it reveals who he is. And the Alpha Course, it goes through several different things of why we should believe this. And first of all, you know, the empty tomb. Ian Walker is a scientist at Cambridge. He became a Christian because he could not believe that the disciples would be willing to be tortured and die for something that they knew wasn't true. If the disciples had taken the body that Easter Sunday, then why would they be willing to to die for it? Why was his body not there? You know, and Jesus then appeared to the disciples, appeared to 500 of them at one time. It wasn't that, you know, they 500 people were hallucinating and had no objective reality and just were making all this up. Maybe, you know, seeing a ghost, you know, one of the scriptures in Luke 24... It says, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So the disciples who are writing this are actually saying that they thought they saw a ghost. But of course, my hands, see my arm, flesh, and I am, I am flesh and I am bones. And then he, he um, ate some fish with them and he, he ate it in their presence. That's Luke 24, verse 36 to 43. And the immediate impact that Jesus made on these disciples. Here were these disciples who were running and hiding and in fear, depressed. And here, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, well, we know what reason, something changed. And they went around telling everyone that Jesus was alive. And these were fishermen, tax collectors. These weren't people trying to make up a story to be convincing. In fact, if they wanted to make up a convincing story, they probably would have written it very differently. You know, the first, one of the first people to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead was the women. And in that time, if you wanted to make a credible story, you wouldn't then have the witnesses to be women. It's just a statement about that. But it just goes to show that they didn't make this stuff up. And then, of course, you see the growth of Christianity. You see the small group of, of 11 disciples then changing and transforming the world, going all over um, and, and preaching the gospel. And then within 300 years, there's this peaceful revolution. And we know the whole of history was changed. There's more people who believe in Christ's resurrection today than ever. It's the largest belief in the whole world. And then, of course, we have these countless millions and we included, have this experience of God in our lives. You know, I give my testimony and I, I talk to people about what my faith has done for me and they can't, they can't deny that because of, of my experience. And I think we all have that and we share in that experience. So even today, thousands of years later, we, we're still feeling the effects of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul had this He had this insight into what the death and resurrection meant. He saw that as the big picture. He saw that as the transformation of the world, the pivotal point when everything changed, when God was finally bringing his kingdom to earth, where he was now king and ruler. And saying those things would have been very dangerous for him in those times. 
you know, they would announce that Caesar is Lord and Caesar was coming and being revealed to you and he is your saviour. And here's Paul saying, no, we expect Christ as the ruler of the age to appear. And I, and I read that word appear. We're looking for Christ's appearance. I read that as God is being revealed in Christ, as in revelation. That's the word revelation, doesn't it? He's being revealed to us at his appearing. And it's almost a sense that Christ is here already, but there is a, a revealing that we're waiting for. There isn't a further appearing that we're waiting for. So its kingdom is here now, but it's also closed with a, a final question to ponder this morning. What does the resurrection of Christ mean to us today? So yeah, we can believe that that happened 2,000 years ago. We can look at the evidence. We can look at the evidence in our lives today. But also, we go one step beyond the resurrection of Jesus Christ to our steadfast hope and our belief what happens to us at the end of the age. You see, Paul writes into the Romans, he writes that the whole of creation is waiting for the appearance of the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And we don't all know all the details of what that revealing or appearing will look like exactly, but at Christ's appearance, we shall be like him. And sometimes that's, that's enough for my faith. That's enough for my belief. That I don't know exactly what my resurrected body will look like, but it's going to look like Christ's resurrected body. And I, th- and I think that I'm really looking forward to it. And, and Paul backs this up in, in 1 Corinthians 15. You can just read the whole chapter. And it's almost like just as you know you're human, you know how human you feel is just how... Um, I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, he says, We have borne the image of the man of dust, so therefore we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And we're waiting for Christ to be revealed to the nations. We're waiting for Christ to be appear. And when he appears, those who belong to him will be changed and transformed. Paul says that he's even willing um, to die for this. I'm willing to be poured out like an offering. He says, look, we're being killed all day. We're we're suffering. And he saw himself as the servant of Yahweh, as the servant of the Lord. But we're waiting for Christ to be revealed. And Paul says, not all will die. But some, those who die will be die. They will be transformed at his appearance. We shall be changed. And Paul concludes with this knowledge and assurance that our mortality will be swallowed up or consumed by immortality and mortality is one of the defining things about our humanity you know you're human because you know you're going to die and it's the defining attribute of us yet we know somehow in our hearts we have this inbuilt sense of immortality This is why death seems so foreign and strange to us. This is why when we lose a loved one, it seems like it's unfair. It shouldn't have happened. This is not right. And I've heard that so many times this week, that it's just not right that someone would be taken from us. But of course, the reality, objective reality, is that the statistics of death is one out of one. It's 100%. 
But somehow our brains can't get around that idea. There's a, in our brain supposed to continue forever. And maybe that's why Paul calls it this mystery. That somehow we have this perception that life should continue forever, which is why we find death so hard to deal with. But we find an assurance in our faith that, that in Christ, death is not the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I'll tell you this mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Let's just bring this. I know I said I'm closing. I love saying that. It just makes you think I'm almost finished. I think there's a call this morning and it's a call to see our lives within the framework of the big picture and to see what God is doing. And whether you're serving in the church, whether you're helping in any or spending those nights in prayer, whether you're on your knees crying out for God, whether you're reading your Bible, whether you're loving your brother and sister, whether you're engaging with those who are really struggling, not in vain when you see the big picture I tell you serving God is the best thing you can ever do why because you're playing a part in the big picture what is God doing one is to believe in Christ's death and resurrection to believe it as the installation of God's kingdom here on earth and then to live a kingdom life according to that new creation that was a consequence of what happened. Second is to believe that because what Christ accomplished, we have a steadfast hope that nothing we do is in vain. And even if we suffer, it pales insignificant to the glory that awaits us in the resurrection. Third, we know that death, that the enemy of his chief weapon is death. And we know the scripture says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper death will ultimately and irrefutably be defeated and finally it's a call to do the Lord's work to bring the good news to those around us we have a steadfast hope whatever we do in word in deed we're doing it for the Lord your life is not wasted your life is part of a bigger picture. Amen. 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 Invite the band up. Come and lead us in our final song.